Welcome to episode 143 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Kari Saarinen. He's a designer at Airbnb working on design systems. Before that, he was at Coinbase and before that at startups. Uh, he's from Finland, which was awesome. We get to dig into his background and building design systems. Finally. Finally. Uh, very fun episode. But before we get into it, we want to thank our sponsors for making this possible. First up, Wayno. Wayno are super awesome and so supportive, and we can't believe how great they've been to work with. So what is Wayno? Wayno is an agency doing amazing work uh, in the design community for companies like Boosted, uh, Medium, Airbnb, Reuters, Lonely Planet, Cisco. The list goes on and on and on, uh, and they continually knock it out of the park because they have one of the best teams in the industry. So they're sponsoring us, one, because they want to be supportive, and two, because they're hiring people for both their San Francisco and New York offices. So these are people of all kinds of skill levels, you should go hang out with them. If you're into the whole agency thing, I couldn't imagine a better place to work. They're building one of the best teams we can imagine, uh, people that I am lucky to call friends, and they're super fun to hang out with. You should join them. If you want to work at a place like Wayno, just go to their website, wayno.co, click the careers link in their header, uh, tell them we sent you, and if you're ever in San Francisco on a Friday evening, uh, check out their happy hour that they host around 6 p.m., uh, where they interview cool people in the community, hang out with us. We'd love to say hi. Again, wayno.co, U-E-N-O dot C-O. Can't thank them enough for supporting the show and making this episode possible. Our second sponsor, back again, Dropbox. So Dropbox's new goal is to simplify the way people work together. And to do that, they're building these cross-collaborative teams, uh, researchers, writers, product designers, and illustrators who are working together from problem definition to shipping the whole thing but they need designers to fill out that those kinds of teams. Uh, they're hiring all kinds of product designers and design managers. If you're interested in working on hard problems on products that people use every single day, uh, this sounds like a pretty awesome place to do it. They've always been focused on design. It's always been like a key differentiator for them. Back when they like first started out in like 2007 or whatever, there were a bunch of file sharing products, but Dropbox won because of design. I mean, it's beautiful, it's simple, it gets out of the way really really clear how to use it yeah they're hiring people from all over the world but the main gig is here in san francisco uh, they've got a beautiful new office just down the street from us it's incredible huge huge fan they have a coffee shop downstairs in their office that roasts their own beans they have like this amazing roof deck that is just stunning uh, they have a library that's like modeled after an italian opera house it's gorgeous uh, everything there is fantastic and so beautiful they have their own gym they have their own restaurant that has three meals a day so you can just like live there if you really want to it could be your dropbox anyway if you want to solve challenging problems with people who are doing incredible work dropbox seems like a great place to go so what should you do you should go to spec.fm slash dropbox and that will take you to their job site they're hiring junior all the way up to senior uh, designers as well as design managers and that'll tell them you came from us it'll take you to the site get you going so thank you so much to dropbox and with that let's get into episode 143 with kari sarandon hi my name is kari i'm a designer sometimes developer sometimes entrepreneur uh in the past i've worked at smaller startups or stage startups i also co-founded kipped this bookmarking site and previously i was at coinbase the first designer and the head of design there 
And now, currently, I'm working at Airbnb and designing systems. What's the proper pronunciation of your last name? It depends. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I asked that. <laughs> okay. So, like here, I say Saarinen. Saarinen. But in in Finnish, you would say Saarinen. So it's a little bit harder. So I think Saarinen is fine. Okay. And actually, that's like the if you know the Saarinen table, it's like this like white tulip kind of shaped uh-huh. okay. table. Um, there's also like oh Euro Saarinen. Yeah. So it's the same name, and he was also Finnish, but there's at least no, as far as I know, there's no direct relation. Just the name. I was trying to think of what else I knew that had a Saarinen name, and I kept going to uh, Kimi Raikkonen from <laughs> F1. Like, I don't know why. Cool. So you're at Airbnb now. Yeah. Uh, what are you working on there? So I joined only like seven, eight months ago. And pretty much from the start, I've been working on our design system. Like we call it the design language system. And it's basically... Uh, set of guidelines and also these UI components that exist in a design and also in code that designers and engineers can build uh, to use our uh, to use and build our apps. It's been really interesting the last few weeks because the team started to share more. You wrote a really long blog post about <laughs> uh, the process. How's that project been going, especially now that? A little more of it's out in the wild and people can sort of look at it and, and critique it perhaps from the outside. Yeah, I think like a, we would like to share even more, but it always takes time to like to write these things. And even I think it, it's also something like a hard topic to write about because it's like such a like a big topic and like you, you have all this like information and details and you try to like build it into like a like simple narrative. But it, overall, I think like people took it really well. I, I saw like a lot of tweets about it. Like a lot of people started also contacting me directly about like, hey, uh, we are also building this, our own design system. And like, do you have any advice for me? And like, we've been using Sketch and like, we also have the same problems. And a lot of people were like asking the similar questions. Design systems, so hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> they are hot right now. Why do you think that is? Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think it, it's been like hot, maybe like, year or like two years now and i think like in our case it it basically just came from the need our own need that like we saw that like airbnb has grown a lot in the recent years we have like dozens of different teams working on new designs every day and it's like really hard to like keep like usually as a company you're building like one product and one experience so when you have all these different people working on it it's keep becomes really hard to like keep the experience cons- consistent. We knew that like we have this need and and we also like knew that like if we solve this like this one part of it which is like just set this guidelines a direction, we could do something more which would be like if we can reuse a lot of the designs and the components we already have been built or like continue building if we can use it in other places it, it could make our like process much more efficient and i think like a lot of other companies are starting to see this too that like nowadays you have to build so many things so fast so many platforms so like you're trying to see the like things we could do better things we could optimize to like make this process like better and and more enjoyable to people so what is the advice that you give to, to startups that are starting to think about this kind of stuff within their own company? Maybe they don't have quite the same scale as Airbnb. 
Mm. Do you have some general rules or do you kind of wing it every time? <laughs> <laughs> I think like actually like a lot of people have been asking like very specific questions. So I haven't like given this like a broad advice and like I think we are still also figuring these things out. You can't like reuse your like advice component. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like I should, but um so I still need to write that that component. Um I think overall it's like like that's also an interesting question for me. Like if I would go and start my own company again or start building a new product would i start building a style guide or like kind of like this design system at first and actually i i nowadays i think like maybe or like probably i feel like often i as a designer has been like working too much on like very specific details for mm-hmm. very specific like interactions whereas like i think it would be like much better if if I could like set the some standards in the beginning, and then try to follow them as much as I can, and like that totally. way, like save my own time. Do what you do well already. Yeah, yeah. I think every kind of job or project I've gone to, I've kind of had boilerplate things that I take with me. Like I kind of, in many cases, I've been the only designer or mm-hmm. like kind of doing the project by myself. So I just kind of design it the way I know, uh, and I feel like that could definitely carry over to smaller components of it rather than just like I take a boilerplate like CSS thing I mm-hmm. have. I take a boilerplate like gulp file. I take a boilerplate sketch symbol system or like a, a default style for icons. Is that kind of what you're referring to? Or Yeah, I think like so like how we structured and how I think like a lot of this system structure that like you have like some kind of basic style guide so you define like what are your type sizes and what are your colors and like what are your spacings mm-hmm. and like i think that's also what we did like we didn't like you actually define. put that in your document yeah. so no like 11 we, tweeted it actually that was i i didn't take the time to read it yet yeah. but uh no 11 tweeted that piece and he's like this is what i would start with yeah that like there was like five of us like five designers who were working on this and like we just defined this like very basic rules to start with and that's what what i would do in any other company that like start with like very simple like here's some type sizes here's some colors here's some spacings and then you start like making your designs. And then when you make those designs, you try to start looking for like patterns that like, what are your header styles and what kind of like, like actual rows or components you need and start to like pull them out from the designs and start like adding them to some kind of library where you can start seeing them side by side. And then you can start thinking like, what uh, what other screens could I like build? The post sort of explains it. And I know it's part of a series of posts that are going to be coming out at a like actual implementation level. Can you tell me a little bit more about how the design language system works? Like I am a product designer in Sketch at Airbnb. I want to build feature X and I have the design language system. Can you pick an actual feature so that we can have examples? Uh... I want to build, hmm, I wonder if I can guess something that they're working on. I want to- I want to build a safety reporting system for when someone steals my identity as a host. Because <laughs> it's actually <laughs> happened. Someone put my profile picture from Twitter as their photo for yeah. a listing and someone on Twitter <laughs> sent it to me. They're like, hey, th- is this you? I'm like, no. I want to build a key in Airbnb and I can lend that key to the person that is staying in my home mm-hmm. and it exists within the app. Okay. Okay. So I have the design language system. What next? <laughs> <laughs> so how would you use it as Airbnb? It's like basically you just open your sketch. Um, you go to the sketch templates. There's this uh, Airbnb folder inside that. There's a DLS folder inside that. There's like a 
sketch <laughs> template. Folders, yeah. yeah, there's a sketch template for for phone and tablet, and you open that sketch template that gives you all the UI options for phone or tablets as they exist at this moment. So you would probably start a new document, like you just make your artboard. You start looking at the components you have in in your in in the component library sketch file or in the template. And in that template, you like maybe you start with the header, like you're building this key. So you want to like make a header which says like access key or something. So you go to your sketch file, find find one of our like different header types. You copy that to your new sketch document. You next next you want to like add some like other information in there. You want to add some kind of number or or something or some kind of row. You go again to the sketch template. You find what are our our different row options, and then you start adding them so into the sketch file. It's tabbing and copying and pasting sketch components. Yes. Okay. And all of those components itself, they they contain all the different states or different variations they might have. So some like rows, for example, like a table cell or like a row, you could have a title and you could have an icon, you could have a switch on it, you could have another like a user input on the on the right side. Um, you could have like few other options, or if you are like adding a button to that document. You might have different states for it. You might have like a loading state, um, disabled state, tap state, those kind of states. Mm-hmm. And all of those components contain the spacing as well as the divider lines in them. So you basically, you just track and drop these things. They snap together with the right spacings and they will have their divider lines yeah. or the type of divider line that, mm-hmm. that is defined. How the hell do you keep your sketch files maintainable and up to date across an entire team that's copying and pasting out of this master document? How so, do I know that the thing I'm using is the right and latest thing? Yeah, that's great. That's a true source kind yeah. of thing. Well, even like has the DLS team updated it? Like has this changed in code? How do I know? So this is something like we're still working on, but um, so the source of truth currently is our DLS GitHub repo. So so we use it like we update the sketch files the same way like you would update like software. So um, in this repo, whenever you make a change, you add a new component or you change something, you will change those things. You change those files, those master files, and then you do a pull request. And in that pull request, you, you mentioned that like these are the th- changes that I made. And this is why, and and then there's a few other people who will review those changes and accept it. So then that keeps the like the source of truth, and also it's it keeps the history of um, why did these things happen and when did did they happen? And technically, on the sketch file itself, we we name like write the date in it, so which we found out was like really useful when early on when people were using this and. And I, I would go, someone would come to me and say like, hey, like this doesn't work or this is wrong. And then I would look at the sketch file and see that like it was like a month old. Uh-huh. So then as you have a month old sketch file, like please update it. Um, please, <laughs> for the love of God. Maybe suck less, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> so, but actually like what helps a lot is this uh, sketch templates. So- Like the symbols? 
No, there's like a sketch templates. Menu. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like it's it has like the Metro design as well as the iOS. I only ever use it for getting some of the like iOS components that I don't want to draw. Mm-hmm. So it's this menu in Sketch. If you go to the main, it's menu. like new from template. So what happens with so how we built that is that we keep the source of truth in GitHub, but then when when it's merged to master and like it's that it's the right thing, um, we will copy it to our box, which is a shared folder throughout the whole designers throughout the company and then our we have this like small script that designers use to install it which basically links those sketch templates to this box folder and so whenever we update the files in the box folder and people go to their sketch templates they will always have the latest version and how sketch templates works is like it doesn't open the file that you're accessing it op- like makes a copy of that file and it names it like like your sketch names it like untitled 4 or something so then people are not going to like mess it up and also since the actual master file is in github people actually cannot do that like we will overwrite like changes every day to that box folder so even if someone would mess it up it will get overwritten is that process working well? I, I've been very, very interested. And in, so you wrote this post, loved it. And then the footnote was like, oh yeah, by the way, we use Git to version control all of our sketch files. Is Git version controlling your sketch files been working well? Is it something you'd recommend? Yeah, uh, I, I do like it like in a in a terms of the pull request. So like it, it's, we make this pull request like every week. And, and that way we don't like, we don't change the files all the time. And and secondly, we try to be more conscious about these changes. So we try to like think why did we change these things and like get people many people look at those things that like we don't like change things that shouldn't be changed. That and, seems like one of the biggest values to me of the Git thing is specifically pull requests. Yeah. It's it does require some like technical work and that does require some manual work. Um, we hope to automate this pos- process as much as possible. And what is not great either is that um, sketch files in GitHub, they, they act like binary files. So basically, you cannot like you can only see that this file got updated, but you cannot see what, what got updated. Like, no diffs. Yeah. Except what we have kind of like went around this problem by using the sketch tool, which mm-hmm. is a command line yeah. tool for sketch. Yeah. And we basically export every single component into PNG. Yep. And that way, when you update the sketch file, we also run the script. Visual it exports. Diffs. Yeah, it exports the PNGs. And then on GitHub, you can see the visual divs of all nice. components. Does every designer in Airbnb have access to that? Um, I think so. Like, I think everyone should have access to Git. Not, I don't think like all designers use it. So that's why we have the sketch template system. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do link to like, we do this updates to the whole design team that like, this is, these are the things we changed. Uh, here's a link to the change log. Here's the visual change log if you're interested. And like, here are the files. So people do have access to it. I don't think like everyone goes there every day, but at least they do have access. One thing that's been on my mind a ton lately, because I've tried the the Git sketch thing for version controlling files with like the image diffing. The Git sketch plugin, yeah, specifically. Git, yeah, yeah. Not just uh, Git and sketch. Right, right. Um, I, I'd just be curious how your team and you specifically are thinking 
like what's the better way to do this? You even mentioned, you know, it's quite a manual process. It's a little bit of a technical process. Um, have you thought of what's the better way here? Is it something that exists in Sketch or is it a completely different tool altogether that, that makes this a better process to keep teams up to date? Yeah, like we haven't like really found what would work with Sketch itself. So like, why do we even have the Sketch files is that the designers can use them so they can see what are the components that can use them in their designs by using and in Sketch. Um, I think what would be better um, to that, like if the design tools would evolve and we would actually use something more like a, something like a code based system, which is basically having those components built in like React or built in a native code. And you could actually use those native components to build your screens. I think like whenever, I don't know if there's like maybe, I don't know, maybe someone will come up with something, but I think like overall the sketch file itself, it's like, it's great for designing things. It's not necessarily great for defining like a library of UI components and using them. Um, I think there might be like, I think a lot of companies are trying to do this now that they're trying to build this like component-based design tool. And I think that's would be a better way because then you could build different kind of tooling also around that to to update your design. So like build prototypes or or update the individual components itself. So there would be more like a system, not like a file. Yeah. I would love that. I've been thinking about that kind of stuff a lot. Yeah. I also I, I saw seen your blog post and also your tweets about like you've been also thinking about building this kind of tool. Yeah. And then someone else built that thing. I love it. I think the biggest piece of feedback I got was when you tell designers like here is a coded system of components, it immediately feels inaccessible mm -hmm. because Interesting. for some people that might not know how to code, it's like, well, I don't know how I can contribute to that. Uh, second, just the very technical nature of it makes it perhaps a little bit slower to explore and iterate. Mm. I think I think there's ways around it. I think there are processes that could could go around that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, having like a coded component or source of truth, I don't know. It's a very compelling idea. I I would love to to like continue hearing how companies are exploring that and and what value they get out of it. And I, I think like there's like two. I, like even sketch, I think it would be possible to build something like that, that if you just think that your design has like these two side, sides, so basically you have some kind of component library, which is this reusable parts that you use in, in all of your designs. So that's like a separate thing. And then you have the actual views or the actual experiences that you're building. Um, so if you would kind of currently I, all the design tools kind of like consider that these are the same things that like you just build whatever screens and you copy and paste things around, but like they don't think about like maybe I could better define the things that I want to reuse um, in a separate system. And I, there would be a separate for workflow for that, not the same workflow, but not the same tools, but like separate. And then like when you're actually building the views and the experiences, you would use some some kind of other workflow and other kind of tools. Okay, so I'm building a key, <laughs> copied and pasted all my stuff from the master file using the templates, and I have my sketch version of stuff. Now, how do I make sure that that actually gets built? Because as far as I understand, the DLS is quite a bit more than just mm -hmm. the sketch file. Yeah, so all of the 
DLS components. So like anything you can use in your designs also exist in code. So currently they exist in native code. So in iOS, Android, we also have some components in the React native. And in those platforms, all the components are have the same same styles. They have the same properties. They have the same states. They have the same name. So all the naming is the same. So now if the designer uses all of our components and goes to engineer that like, here's my view, can you build it? Or can you please build it? Um, they they would just like, the engineer could just look at the view, look at the design and, and see what are the components they use. So maybe there's this header component, there's this row component, there's some other components, and then they can build that view by using the components on their on the native native view framework. Um, they still have to build their logic behind that code. So, like, what happens when a user clicks this, or what happens when like where to get the information for that screen, and like all that logic. But basically, the promise of DLS is that we can one like the make the unify our design language across the platforms and make our designs more like going to the same direction. And then secondly, I think it's about also making our, like helping our engineers to work on the actual backends and actual logic and less on the like view kind of details that like previously when you would submit a design to the engineering, you would have to like do this redlining and like, here's like this amount, like can you, this text should be like this amount of pixels from the right or points from the right or left. And this is the color I used here. But now it's more like I use this and this and this component and then engineers just build it. That seems convenient. It is very convenient. I'm wondering if designers that look at a system of components perhaps feel constrained or that it, I don't know that I believe this, so it's hard to ask, uh, that it might suffocate creativity, that it might suffocate um, the ability to break the system when it needs to be broken. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that something that that you've thought about as well? It definitely creates some constraints, and I think a lot of people say that constraints are good. I find constraints very valuable. Very valuable, yeah. But things still evolve over time, right? Yes. So so we we know that like sometimes that components that we have created or currently exist in, in the system are not not all of it. And sometimes they are not the best. Sometimes something could be better. It's not like all the things we have created, like currently exist in the system are the They're best perfect. Form. <laughs> <laughs> and like those things even change over time. So something like perfect today might be like not that optimal tomorrow. So, so I think like that's something like we understand that like these kind of systems actually I think help to evolve it. So when you have this catalog of different ideas and then you find out some idea doesn't work, you can like work on it and change it. Um, so I think like overall the designers have been actually really excited about this because it's it's it also makes their work a little bit easier. Uh, one is that like they can build the screens much faster. Secondly. Uh, they can also get away from this design reviews or critiques where where people say like like can you change this padding a little bit or can you, <laughs> like I think this font size could be a little bit bigger or fix the line height please yeah so they can get like away from these kind of discussions too and they can go directly to to the point which is like 
is this feature good? Is this design which we created good? Is this something we should do? So I think like people have been excited about that, that they can focus on the actual work or like actual concepts. The other thing I think what we have found out so far is that this also allows people to test new ideas much more quickly. So one day a designer might have this idea that like, uh, or engineer or PM, whoever might have an idea that maybe Airbnb should do this kind of app or like maybe Airbnb should do this kind of feature and they can mock up a page or flow around that maybe in a day or less than a day and they can go around and show it. And it, it looks like our app. It, it can like actually look like an actual prototype. It can look like an app. Uh, and they only spend like a few hours on it. And the fact that it looks all the same means you don't have to focus on the way it looks, right? Mm-hmm. Well, That's- even when one thing has to change, it's unlikely that the entire system would change too. So at least you're getting like a shortcut to that point. So I think like the other part of this is that we know that we actually work with the product teams and the product teams are contributing new components to the system. And sometimes they they will come to us and let's say, that we think like this this doesn't work that well and we, we're hoping to change it this way and then we work with them and, and see if that change is, is reasonable and if it's like test well or we test it in different devices and see if it's like, if it's a good change. So we still allow anyone, any designer or basically anyone in the company to contribute new things, but we expect that people actually do some kind of homework when they do that. So they actually have to like make their case um, that like, I think this is better because of these reasons. I actually tried these other things, but I don't think they're good. So that's like the only requirement we have that like, if you want to change something, you have to make a proposal and that proposal can be really simple, but it still have to be a proposal. It's more disciplined and I think that results in a more thoughtful design process. Mm-hmm. It seems that if people have to make very structured arguments for why a new thing should exist, mm-hmm. because it's going to cost everyone more time, right? It's not just that designer. It's also the engineers building the DLS, building it in all the native views, supporting it in the sketch templates, on and on and on. Yeah. They're really going to sell it. Having to make a case for that. Yeah. I, I think the, the positives outweigh the negatives in that case. Yeah. I feel yeah. like so often there's a reputation for design just dictating things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think uh, having to sell it and actually get buy-in makes a lot of sense. Out of all the things, like regardless of whether or not it's symbols or whatever, I like that process even on its own. And like it, it doesn't have to be that like, and even I think often we are like very responsive with these kind of like changes. So mm-hmm. we are not like, we don't want to consider us a gatekeepers. We we try to, of course, like protect the system in a way that like we don't want to introduce things that don't fit in there or don't follow the rules. Rules, um, but overall, I think anyone who has reasonable case should be able to add new things to it or change things. The only other requirement we have is that we want that those things will work well in both platforms, so iOS and Android, and that they also can work in in both phones and tablets, because that's where the components currently live. They they have to work on all these different platforms and sizes. Again, it's I, I love that. I think it's more structure and process can... It's intimidating, I think, to designers. Why? Because 
I'm not speaking for all designers. I think that there's something beautiful Brian, about- Brian, make a generality, goddammit. Yeah, I think there's something beautiful about what we do as designers, which is this really rapid uh, divergence and convergence of ideas. And when you have to slow down and stop and be very intentional and say, okay, does this work on iPhones, Android phones, iOS tablets, Android tablets? How does this scale across systems and screen sizes? Like that gets a little slower and tedious and maybe some designers don't quite like that as much. Uh, well, they still have to do it. They still have to do it. Yeah, you end up with a better system for it, right? Yeah, I mean, to me, it makes a lot of sense. I love that like, it kind of has a, a very systematic approach to dependencies as well. So you can really like break it down and keep track of things. It makes a lot of sense to uh, certainly someone like yourself, Bryn. Very logical and process-driven. So uh, I'm curious what's been the biggest challenges building out the system, I imagine. <laughs> you didn't get it right the first time? It, it's been like on, ongoing challenge, I think, that I think like why people are so interested in these systems now is that there hasn't been like too many examples of them, mm. like at least publicly. There's been like some style guides publicized and, and some other things, but the lightning design system stands out to me from yeah. Salesforce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think what they, they are a good example. And of course the Google material design is mm -hmm. one example. Mm -hmm. Um, overall, I think every company will always have like their own things and like their own yeah. challenges. And I think definitely in our case that we, we constantly day to day have to like figure things out. So it's just like this process of like, how do we keep these files sync? How could we make it better? Um, what is the process of us actually working with these product teams? Because there's a lot of product teams. There's actually in this team, there's about five or six of us. And so we cannot be like working everywhere all the time. We cannot support all of these teams all the time. So we have to find ways that we can scale ourselves and also scale the system to do the work for us. I think like one thing was challenges, like we didn't necessarily consider that tab platform enough in the beginning, I think. Does anyone really? No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like even and now since, I mean, we have to support the tab, like Android tablets and there's so many sizes, but also even in, in, in the iOS world, there's so many sizes now and the iPad Pro is just, I don't know, it's like it's like a desktop, but it's a tablet and I don't know how to, doesn't like, have, how do people design that thing? Like, doesn't it have more pixels than the like cinema display currently? I would not doubt it. It's crazy. That thing is a beast. Yeah, I think one dimension is like north of 3,000 pixels and the uh, cinema display is 2560 by 1440, so. Okay, so iPad tablet support was one of the big problems. It, it was like, I think in the end, like it worked well, but like it's something like really hard to, I think, build these designs. First, like you're trying to consider this phone, which is like, a, it's like a native, so you're considering like native platform. So you're considering a phone first because that's, what most people use, a phone-sized screen. And then you have to like figure out how does this app then look like in a screen that is many times bigger. And so I think we kind of like started thinking about it a little bit too late, I think. So we didn't like we didn't like consider all the things um, I think we should have in the beginning. But so in the end we have to come up with some like, few concepts that that to help with that. So some like layout changes and some, uh, we introduced some this more complex adaptivity, which is basically we can introduce 
few different kinds of layouts on a tablet that still use the same components, but they add additional constraints or additional changes to the layout, similar to like uh, responsive web, for example. So basically we have like two breakpoints. And so in these different breakpoints, the component can change its layout a little bit. Why did you want to work on this problem? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think- it sounds like fun, but then there's also a component of... I mean, I like to design a lot of things that are like a feature that is launching publicly. Yeah. So I think like actually, I think this is really interesting work. Um, the truth is I, I, I just got assigned to this role. So I joined the company. I didn't like know much what role I would join in. So, but I would join this role. And actually I was like really interested interested in it. And that's because like, I think before I've had a done a lot of work in startups and doing a lot of product work on web and mobile and everywhere um, that I felt that, that it's al- always similar. It's kind of like similar job all over again, especially like in the early stage startups, you always like, you need to design the website, you need to design uh, the mobile app. And it's, it's often like, even though the company is different, often the work ends up being like similar. So I thought like this actually worked I'm doing now is something like different. It's more about designing the system that helps other people design these experiences. So it's like, it's kind of how can we leverage or how can we scale our design organization and the design that happens in the Airbnb in general? I like it. It's just a new challenge, a different way to think about problems. Uh, I have one more question about this, and it's what you mentioned earlier about how do you scale five to six people's time to work for a company. I think maybe last time we heard Airbnb's design team was what, like 80, 100? Mm-hmm. Um, that was a question that stood out to me. Yeah. How have you done it? Like, How have you actually scaled it so that this process can actually work with that many people? Uh, of course, we try to provide all the information to be available. So we provide the sketch files. We try to organize them as much as best as we can. So it's like easy for people to use them. Uh, we also write documentation, uh, which is actually we've been working on this site. We haven't quite launched it yet, but it's basically like guidelines site for for the system. Will that be public? Uh, I don't know. Not at least now. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um and then one other thing we have done is uh, we have a Slack channel where people can ask questions. Um, and also we do office hours every week. So we have a couple hour slot where people can just come in and ask their questions. Other than that, we also just work directly with certain teams. So uh, in our team, we have divided people um, Basically, every like one person works with one larger group, so they can like collect all the information from that group and also help them to use the system. So, but that's like still, I think something like we we're trying to find better ways how to do it. But I think the more documentation guidelines and examples you can make, that scales much better than going to around and talking to people. Why did your team decide to start? blogging about this publicly um i don't know i think like it 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 came much from our head of de- head of design alex uh i think he he has been like also a big supporter in this project and he also like is is really 
interested to see all these design systems and tools. And he also thinks that that we should should share this work so that and I think like the things we're doing are interesting. So I think like we should definitely share them and like hopefully other people could learn learn from them. Have you thought about open sourcing this? I think there's been thoughts about it, but I don't I can't make any promises. Um there's like of obviously this design system is very specific sure. to to Airbnb mm-hmm. um, because it's what it, it's not like Google Material Design, which is basically um, design system for Android in general and Google yep. ones that everyone uses it. In our case, we are still using this system for a single product. Sure, a, a it's template, more- especially if you remove that fidelity it becomes valueless almost, Mm -hmm. right? Like you can't give a template for a template so easily uh, because it's very case by case specific. I'm not so interested in like the sketch file itself, but more of the The underlying infrastructure. Yeah, like the documentation, how that maps to the components in sketch file, how that maps to the components in code, how that maps to the templates in box, like that interweaving of tools feels much more compelling to me than the sketch file Mm -hmm. itself. Kind of pipeline. Yeah, the pipeline. I think that that's definitely something interesting that we could, we could, try to find ways if we could share it more. Um, I think a lot of it's now is actually very, no, not necessarily manual, but very specific to our company. So yeah. it's like something like very hard to share. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, it's, Indeed. It's, 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 we kind of like really put this process in a, I think in a GitHub repo, because a lot of it's like actually um, ties into certain people in, in the company. You have to get a box account and then you have to hire <laughs> Kari and Ben and a few others. And- yeah, who else works on the team with you? So currently there is there's me, uh there's Taito, uh Michael uh, last names please. Last names. Taito Nakajima and Michael Su. Uh he also worked at Google at YouTube before. Um there's Sally. I don't know, like I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Uh he worked at Square before. He does a lot of our like motion stuff. Okay. Um else there's ben wilkins which you just mentioned um he's an engineer but um he helps helps us with more of the engineering side um there's also a new person pablo i don't remember his last name now um he just joined the company uh airbnb especially around the rebrand very publicly worked with a bunch of outside companies or contractors does this design system scale to work with them um not at the moment. I think like overall, I think Airbnb still uses outside help and, and outsources some of the design work. Mm-hmm. But currently, um, the design system exists only in the native platforms. And okay. we haven't done too much design contracting on that side. Okay. I think when the system comes to more on the website, I think we might have to uh, share more of it with our external partners too. Cool. All right. We got to talk about design systems for quite a while. Mm. Thanks for sharing. Um, can we go back in time and maybe dig into how you actually got here? Yeah, sure. Uh, where are you from? I'm from Finland. What part? So I grew up in in a smaller town called Hämeenlinna. It's about one hour away from Helsinki, which is the capital. So pretty much in the south. So if you look at ever Finland on the map, it's like pretty long country. It's also pretty big country in a way, but it only has five and a half million people. So it's very sparsely 
populated. And most of the people live in the south, but there's like people living in all parts. Uh-huh. How did you how did this whole journey into design uh begin for you? Was it in Finland? Yeah. So I think ever since like pretty much it it goes when I was a kid. Um I think I remember this one time when we were going to the store and to to get me a new bike. And in the store, um, I was browsing through these bikes and like I have this like feeling of like I'm not really happy with any of these bikes or that like I think the bikes could be better. That I, I couldn't understand why if you're like making a bike and you're painting it with some color, why would you choose this color? <laughs> why wouldn't you choose something, some cool color, like, I don't know, black or or white or, or I don't know, silver or something. But they, they had to like paint this weird things on them. And I couldn't understand like why people would do that. So you opened a bike shop? No, but I think that's my earliest memory of 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 like thinking about like seeing something and thinking about how could it be better or why is it like this? Um, when I was a kid, I also went to this art school. It was basically something you would do after school or it was like a hobby. So I would go there every week since I was five till I was maybe 17. And in that art school, we would just do art. Like we would do different forms. We could do anything from painting to like and anything from pencils to painting to sculptures to like pottery to all kinds of different mediums. And I think like that was also really good um, to like find different ways to express myself. I didn't like, I think I never felt I was like an artist, but I, I still liked it. But I, I like more of the part of like making different things. What medium did you gravitate towards? I like oil paintings the most because with oil colors, you, you can have really good control over the colors. Whereas with any other mediums, uh, any other painting, like the colors would be, would often get smudged with each other. And like, you kind of like keep that control. Also with oil color, you can always paint over it. Mm -hmm. So you could always fix your mistakes. So I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a helpful fallback. Mm -hmm. Was that studying like high school or was that university? No, that that was like when I was a kid. Oh, even before? Yeah. Did so you continue the, studying art? No. So, um, and then like, I think I always, I was also always interested in computers. So uh, we got our first computer when I was five. That was Commodore 64. And I would, yeah, I couldn't even read back then, but I would ask my my dad and my sister to like write me instructions how to start the games. So like when on a common door, you would have to like load the disc or the floppy disk into the or the cassette to the thing, and then you would have to write this specific uh, start instructions, which were like really cryptic. I don't mm -hmm. even remember them anymore. But somehow, even I was five or six, I, I could like do them. I could type in on the keyboard those instructions so I could I could play the game. After that, we always had a computer. Uh, I started playing online games like Quake 1. Uh, also, 
Ultima Online when it came out. And that time I also started finding out that people, a lot of these gaming people or teams, clans would have websites. And we were as with a group of friends, we were playing these games and we had our own team. And then I thought it would be cool that if we would also have a website because uh-huh. all the other cool teams have websites. Uh-huh. Did you hear that Quake just got a new sequel? Yeah, I just saw it on Twitter. I watched the, the trailer. So. Oh, at E3? Yeah. Uh, Quake Legends, is that right? Uh, Champions, Champions something. But I think a lot of people are commenting on that new Quake thing. It's, it seems like they're also building this class-based uh, shooter similar to Team Fortress or something. Um which is not or Overwatch what, or Battleborn. <laughs> yeah. Which is not what Quake has been. Ah. Quake has been like more there's no class. You just pick up whatever weapons you like and you you fight. Um so that's like how I got into web to to building this gaming websites. And I, I didn't know how to do it. I, I didn't know anyone to teach me. So I would also just start looking at the other websites. I also found like a book in a library that would also teach me how to do it. So I started that way. Video game clans and bands are like... Neopets, man. And Neopets are the number one, two, and three source of (laughs) product designers today. Uh, So how did that evolve? What did you do next? So I think over the years, I, I did a bunch of this, like, just things I, I had my own website so I, I got my own server it's like a Linux box that I would I would host these sites and as well as like some friends sites so I, I would like have to learn uh, how to devops the the boxes um, luckily nothing got hacked ever which I'm surprised and nothing got broken so I was always worried about that but in the end, everything worked well. So during the time, like I, I did some some designing on this website, also building them. And then when I was sixteen, I applied for a summer job in a local IT company. They were doing websites for other companies, and somehow I, I actually got the job. So that was my first job ever was to design and build websites. And for me, it was like probably the most I don't know, proudest moments in my life. I, I, I could tell my parents, they're like, actually, I got this job. And they're like, what, what are you going to do? I'm going to like do this web thing. And they were still, they didn't like understand what, what, what's, what was that and how can I do it? But I actually got a good job. And I, I feel like in that job, it helped me a lot in the sense that I could um, learn from the other people in that company they would also treat me even though i was a kid they would still treat me as in a way equal and they they would like help me and and they would also listen to me if i if i would like give them some feedback so um so i think like that was a great experience and from there i started doing some freelancing to while i I was in school still in high school um i started building some websites to people who just somehow they found me and say like, can you build a website for me? And I said like, okay, like it's going to cost you this. And then I would do it. And so then did you go to school, uh, university? I, d- I did. Um, so for a while, so I was always interested in technology. So I, I like computers. I like learning about programming. Right. I, I like designing and art. I also like business because I had this, my own small business, so I had like a trouble of choosing 
where to go. Uh, like, would I go to art school? I'm just too interdisciplinary. <laughs> yeah, I, I somehow like felt like it's it's a hard choice. Like, yeah. I, I really want to do all of these things. What I what do I want the most? And somehow, like, I decided. I don't know. It wasn't necessarily a good decision, but I, I decided that I could learn designing as as I go. I can also learn coding because I already did that as I go. So I thought, like, maybe in a business school. I could learn something different. But when I rolled in and like spent my first year in a business school, I kind of realized that I am actually not learning anything in here. So really, I dropped out and then just started working on stuff. What did you start working on? I think the first job I had was maybe uh, it was this FlowDoc, which was kind of like Slack before Slack. So it was a chat tool for developers or companies and it has like it had many or it still has uh so it had like many different like similar concepts than slack so it was basically it had like hashtags you could tag things of course it had a chat but also you could pull in information from git or version control you could pull in different kinds of emails you could pull in all kinds of things so it was slack yes before slack yeah <laughs> crazy so i went there to work like basically the guys hired me they don't really know what they were doing so they, it was a consulting agency before that so they were thinking of we want to do our own product like but we don't know what that is yet and they they said like do you, do you want to like come to work with us while we figure it out i said like yeah sure um so we went to figure it out and they had this idea of basically from their own need that they were use they were large consulting company but they were in different locations so basically they would the different team members would go to different companies to help them build something and they couldn't have like good ways to like keep the team together and there was all kinds of chat tools and we used IRC uh, but it wasn't like enough so we had this idea of what if we built this kind of tool that would help teams and companies to chat and and like keep the information in sync and and share things Ink. Yeah. <laughs> so that was ink. No. That wasn't ink. No, that was that was still the flow doc. But sounds yes. like an inspiration. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, spoilers. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Something's coming. <laughs> yeah. Um so so yeah, like it was something I went went there to just work on it and I, I worked just a little bit on the design, but also I worked as in, in this like customer development role, basically. I tried to also figure out what is the product we should be building. I went to talk to different companies and ask them, like, would you use this kind of tool? Or what kind of tool would you use? Or what kind of tools are you currently using? Those kind of questions. Try to get like understanding of what people would need. But you yeah, you so you mentioned Inc., which was in a way uh which came out of Kipt or I wasn't company. sure the order there. Okay. Yeah. So, so first of all, like we started Kipt as a bookmarking site. Uh, it was like 2000. It's like a long story. So, like I, we, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it was the first version was like 2010. Uh, it's actually how it got started was on a forced by like you, you mentioned this one of your podcasts before with Luke. Uh, so forced was this design and dev. Kyle Bragger. Yes. So like he he started this community called Forest, and it was basically like Triple and Behance. 
yeah, and and some Stack Overflow tied together. So um, on that side, they had this competition or like hackathon, which was basically that you have to build a product like productivity tool in a week. It was is it was online hackathon, so we wouldn't be actually in the same place, but it was just like build something in a week. So so I knew my like knew one guy in Finland who was a developer and we were friends and we I I think I think both of us saw it and then we were just chatting to each other and this friend was Jory Lalo. And so we were just chatting that should we do something? And this this was the time of when the iPads just came out and we were uh, looking, we, we both have our iPads, but there wasn't a good way to share content to them. It, it was, I think, before Instapaper and before Pocket and these things. Um, we just had this idea, like, it would be cool if you could go on a website on your, on your desktop and then you could just save it later for, to, to read it on your iPad. So the first version of Kif was just one list where you can bookmark things and then you can open that list on your iPad. And we used maybe eight hours on that project, so two nights. And with that, we actually won the competition. Crazy. And then we also got a few thousand users on it. And we were like really surprised that like what happened. And actually the funny thing is that like we won the competition and the uh, the price was these t-shirts and a mug, <laughs> but we never got those things. They never sent them to us. So, I so might you still... didn't really win. Yeah. Kyle so, Bragger, yeah. Kyle. Calling you out. <laughs> so I still remember this. I really wanted that shirt, but we didn't get it. I don't know when it was that I first heard of Kipped, uh, but I used it for a while uh, up until, up until... You can tell the story. So <laughs> dun, how long, dun, dun. How, long, how long did Kipt end up uh, being a thing? So, so this, this was the first version of Kipt. Um, it, was like very, it was very simple, and we didn't do anything with it for, for, like for a year. We worked on different things, and we just kept it, kept it running. But during that year, we were always thinking about, like, what could we do more? Or, like, how could we make this better? And... At some point, pretty much after a year uh, in 2011 fall, we decided that we should we should build something more on it. And what we came up with was that during this time there was other bookmarking sites that was Delicious and maybe some others. But Delicious was already sold to Yahoo and it hadn't updated in maybe I don't know three years right. or something. Right. So it still it was still the web to 1.5 tech clouds like design. So we th- thought about like, we could do something better. We could do something better for uh, for ourselves, just that we wanted to save these awesome articles and designs that we saw on the web to one place where could, we could go back to them when we need it. Also, we could share them with other people. So so we made the second version of Kip in that in 2011. Um, and then what happened was that we pretty much built the first version in a month, I think. And we just put it on Hacker News to to get some feedback. And and turns out like a lot of people liked it. Surprise. <laughs> and then like there were 
they were starting to sign up. They were asking all kinds of things. Also, one writer from Read Write Web. This I don't know if it still exists, but this this tech blog um, wrote a story about it. That now there's this new tool called Kip, and then we were like, okay, like now seems like we launched this thing, even though we were just asking for feedback, and and then for a couple of months we we were building a little bit more stuff and realized that like we're actually gaining a lot of users so maybe we should start working on this full time and then uh in 2012 we applied to Y Combinator and and that that was and actually got in and that was my the the time or the then 2012 summer then I moved here so and that was your ticket to come live in the bay area yeah so I already had visited here multiple times. Uh-huh. I, I, I knew some people here. So I knew where I was coming, but I never had like a good reason to come here. I didn't have that one thing that would pull me here. But then that YC thing was the thing that pulled me here. Um, and then we run the company for a couple of years. We also started another product called Inc., which was kind of um collaboration tool and sharing tool for companies. And then... Uh, we got acquired by Coinbase in 2014. No, yeah. Was it just you two at that time during the acquisition or had you built a team? Yes. So we had like one more person in, in somewhere in the middle, but then for a lot of time, it was just two of us. Building Crazy. This thing. And you both went to Coinbase? Yes. What was that like? Because Coinbase is beautiful, by the way. <laughs> you did a great thing. Thanks. Uh, I think at that time, like we had run the company for a couple of years and it, like, it, it was both of our first startup. And I, I, I would say that like, now if I go back that, um, I would do things different, some things differently. I definitely learned a lot of things there. Always. So I think like that time we were like pretty happy to move on to something else. We had like, we had worked on this problem for a long time and it's it, sometimes it's, it's, you feel like you want to do something else. So I think Coinbase felt great in that sense that they were in very different market, Bitcoin and Bitcoin itself is still and was then a new thing and no one really knows where it's going. So for us, I think it was interesting to to start working on that. How did you approach designing that? Because it is a new thing. It's an unknown thing. People are skeptical about it. People don't know how to use it, what it's for. How did you approach that as a design problem? Um. Yeah, I think like definitely there wasn't like much you could learn from other companies in right, that space. You're on your own. Yeah. But I think I generally I, I just look look at it as any other financial tool. So I try to find good examples in financial space, which is not that easy either. Uh, <laughs> so I actually didn't yeah. find too many examples. But so in the end I went back to what I usually do is is that I try to design something I I, I would like myself. And I think the challenge with Coinbase was more like the UIs is is a lot of about numbers, and there's there's not much like there's no pictures. It's it's not it's not Instagram or or something which is like full of pictures. Um, it's more more utility, and it's it's more uh, it's it's a bank where you have numbers, you have transactions, and somehow you have to make them interesting but most of all i think 
our job or my job was to make it trustworthy. It, it wasn't something that you have to make it uh, very interesting or somehow very uh, like surprising, but it has to be trustworthy and something that people can uh, understand and use. Designing for trust is a fascinating topic. I'm curious mm -hmm. if you had like a key learning there that that you found really helped uh, people trust the system, trust coin, Coinbase, trust Bitcoin. I think um, just having a good craft in the things you built, I think that's like, it's the first like, one thing that creates trust. Looking trustworthy? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So like when, I think everyone knows that, that when you go on a website and it looks kind of like bad, you, you don't definitely trust it more. Maybe sometimes like, I don't know, maybe sometimes like Craigslist, somehow you kind of trust it more because it's it looks so bare. <laughs> uh, but I think a lot of people still value things by how they look. I think the company understood that, that we have to really focus on the design to make it look trustworthy. Also, the other thing, what I felt with, with Bitcoin is, is since it's very abstract, I try to bring some more concrete things in it. So in the, in the designs, I would use something. I wouldn't use people because I felt the people are such um, cliche in, in a banking industry or something that people have these pictures of people shaking hands or something. <laughs> because of trust. Yes. <laughs> so I, I rather wanted to use something like nature pictures or something that brings it back to the real world and also access some kind of interesting um, yeah. design direction itself. Um, but like often, it, I think often it was just about making things clear. I think that's also helps when, when people can actually understand what's going on. Um, we would also write articles or, or sites on like make pages on a website where we would explain these concepts and, so I think like those things would definitely like definitely helped on that. So how long did you end up working on Coinbase? Uh, it was like maybe a year and a half, which it's like a short time, but it it I think it was felt like a long time. Uh, I think during that time I worked on most of the things there. So that included when I joined, like working on the branding, working on the marketing website, um, general the website designs, um, the mobile apps, and probably many other things like sometimes PowerPoint decks, sometimes brochures, like basically anything that the company would need. Um, we also then, I also recruited or hired a few other people during the company. Uh, so we had the team of five people there. And then after a year and a half, I think I felt that I had already worked on most of the things. And also, I think a lot of the things that I initially set to do to fix to fix the designs in those areas, I felt like they were done. And also, I felt that the, the team were pretty much handling all the work now. So I felt that I could do something else. Was there an interest to just move into like a management role? Or did you want to continue continue your current pace of actually building the things? Well, I, I think like most of that time I was already, or like some of that time I, I was already in the management position. Ah, gotcha. So I was managing these people, but um, I think they were pretty much managing themselves. So sure. I've also felt that 
that I, I probably could do something different. So why did you end up at Airbnb? So I, I, I always liked Airbnb. Um, I've been using Airbnb, I don't know, maybe four years or five years before now joining the company. I always, I think for me, it's just a better way to travel. I like going to different places and I also like to experience more of the local culture and, 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 and also get a place with a kitchen. So I like cooking yes. and I like uh, eating breakfast sometimes at home when I'm traveling. I don't want to go out all the time. Um, I want to like relax when I'm also on a vacation. So I always like, I always like the company. And then I, I chatted with a few companies and I also ended up chatting with, with Airbnb or one of their co-founders. And I just wanted to know what they're doing. And then I ended up talking to more and more people and, and that way I felt like they were really nice and they, they had some interesting things going on. So. Uh, I decided to join them. That brings us back to now. And we are well over time. time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah. Uh, is there anything you want to plug before you go? Just, um, yeah, like if you want to read about our design process and, and read more, hopefully we can share more about it. You can go to airbnb.design and, and from there you can find all the articles we're going to publish or already published. Awesome. Sweet. Thanks so much for hanging out. Yeah, yeah. thanks. That was yeah. awesome. Thank you. That was episode 143. Thank you so much to Kari for coming and hanging out with us. Thank you for listening. Let us know what you thought on Twitter. Always at Design Details FM. We love hearing your thoughts and responses. No, we're and, only sometimes at Design Details FM. Uh, that's true because we also have a Twitter handle for spec at spec FM. If you're interested in the other shows on our network, we're building uh, a podcast network with all sorts of content for designers and developers aimed at helping you level up. Uh, we recently launched a new show for iOS developers and anyone interested in Apple called Runtime with Sam Sophis and Caleb Davenport. Go check out our other shows at spec FM. That's our URL and our Twitter handle. And of course, before we go, check out our sponsors. Two sponsors made this particular episode possible and we can't thank them enough. First up is Wayno, an agency here in San Francisco. Uh, some of our friends and some of the most talented people in the industry and they want you to join them. They're hiring product designers and they're looking for a 2017 design intern. If you want to learn more, go to Wayno.co, U-E-N-O dot C-O. Tell them we sent you. And if you're ever in San Francisco or the Bay Area on a Friday night, come to their happy hour. We'd love to see you, say hi, and hang out with a lot of cool people. If you want to spend time freelancing or doing agency work, I can't imagine a better place to work. You should definitely come hang out and talk to them. Thanks again, Wayno. Really appreciate you sponsoring this episode. Our second sponsor is Dropbox. Like I said earlier, Dropbox is trying to change the way people work together. And to do that, they're hiring designers across all sorts of skill levels. Uh, ICs everywhere from junior, like your first job, all the way up to senior, like you've got years and years of experience. They're also hiring design managers. They're trying to hire from all around the world and bring people here to San Francisco to their SOMA office, which is two blocks over from where we're recording. And you should go do that. Come hang out with us and we'll do cool stuff. So what do you do? Spec.fm slash Dropbox. That'll take you to their job page and let them know you came from us. And then we'll keep supporting each other. And that's pretty great, huh? Thank you once again to Dropbox. We'll see you next week with Stuart Scott Curran. Mm-hmm.